This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 53, The Temptation of Karna. Last time, Krishna's peace mission to Hastinapur completely broke down. By the end, Krishna was advocating that the Kurus restrain Duryodhana and then sue for peace, while Duryodhana made plans for doing the same thing to Krishna. The sages Narada and Kanva both told a story, but that didn't help either. Finally, Krishna lifted the veil somewhat on his own divine nature and revealed to the audience that even the greater gods like Shiva and Brahma were all just a small part of his larger self. In the course of these discussions and arguments, Duryodhana reiterated his own perspective on the conflict. To him, his father had been more than generous in allowing the Pandavas use of half their kingdom. Their claims to the lands came to an end the moment they lost at the dice game. According to the Karava, the terms of the game were not limited to 13 years. Duryodhana believed that they had agreed to go away forever. Perversely, the Pandavas decided to change the rules after abiding by the agreement for nearly 14 years. Now, they had made treasonous alliances with the crew's neighbors and enemies and were threatening invasion and conquest if they were not given half of Duryodhana's rightful kingdom. Now, how can we know for sure who is telling the truth here? We only get the story from the ones who ultimately triumphed. So, of course, they would tell a version of the story that puts them in the best possible light, while demonizing, literally, their defeated cousins. What if Duryodhana was telling the truth? What if the Pandavas had gone into exile, but after so many years they hooked up with an ancient enemy of their clan, King Drupad, plus an ambitious nobleman, Krishna, who was looking to bring down the strongest kingdom in India by supporting the dishonest claims of its disgruntled exiles? On the other hand, the case against Duryodhana is very strong, so we would be forced to throw up many details as fiction if we wanted to absolve him. In fact, we would have to discount so much of the story that we would end up unable to trust anything they say. Furthermore, it would make Krishna into a bad guy, and we would lose the Bhagavad Gita as a spiritual and moral resource. Finally, the whole story is told on the credibility of the great sage Vyasa, who, tradition tells us, still lives today. If we cannot trust Vyasa, then there is no point in even reading the story. Therefore, while I think it is worthwhile to hear out what Duryodhana had to say, we simply cannot grant it any merit and still go on with the story. And go on with the story we shall. We left off with Krishna walking out of the assembly hall and making preparations to return to Upaplavya. The visiting rishis had all vanished, having witnessed what they had come to see. Before leaving Hastinapur, Krishna first had to make a couple more visits. He started with his aunt Kunti. He entered her house, greeted her by touching her feet, and then reported everything that had been said and done at the assembly hall. He concluded by saying, So you see, the rishis and I were both most reasonable, but the prince refused to accept reason. Clearly, this whole family is lost. Now I am heading back to your sons. Do you have any last thoughts before I go? Kunti wanted Krishna to remind her son that he was born a Kshatriya, so he should quit pretending he's a Brahmin and start fighting for his rights. As for Arjun, she said that when he was born, a voice spoke out of the heavens, saying that one day this boy would be like the thousand-eyed Indra, that he will vanquish his enemies and win back the lands that had been unlawfully taken. She said, I do not doubt that what that voice said shall indeed take place. At the end of this visit, Krishna took leave and mounted his chariot, heading back to Upaplavya. On his way out of town, he passed Karna on the road. Krishna stopped his cart and invited the son of Asuta, Sutputra, to ride with him a while. Karna consented and climbed on board. 
As they rode, Krishna revealed to Karna his true ancestry. Actually, the scene is presented from the perspective of the king. Sanjay reported to him at court that Krishna had left town, but as he was leaving, he briefly gave Karna a ride with him on his chariot. Dhritarashtra wanted to know what had gone on between the two. What had they discussed? Somehow, Sanjay knew the answer, and he described the conversation to the king. Krishna began by complimenting Karna on his scholarship and his deep knowledge of the laws and scriptures. He said, Those who know the scriptures teach that a son born to a woman before her marriage is regarded the same as the sons born to her husband after the marriage. You, Karna, were born that way. Your real mother is Kunti, therefore you are effectively Pandu's eldest son. That makes you the elder Pandava and my own kinsman. So come with me today, cousin, and I assure you the Pandavas will recognize you as their eldest brother. Their children, friends, and allies will all embrace you and shall follow you as their leader. And guess what? You'll get to sleep with Draupadi all you want. Your brothers will support you as the Brahmins and I consecrate you as king. So let's go. It seems Karna was touched by this offer. He said, I know that you are making this offer out of friendship, and you are acting in my best interests, but I cannot do it. For Karna, it was all a question of loyalty. It started with his adopted mother. He said, I understand that legally I was born to noble Kunti when she was an unwed maiden, but she abandoned me on the day I was born. She cast me out as if I were stillborn. It was the Sutta Adirata who found me, and his wife Radha who loved me so much that milk poured from her breasts. It was Radha who wiped up my piss and shit. How could a man like me deny her the honor of being my mother? It is a Sutta who loves me as a son, and it is my love that demands that I regard him as my father. Adirata named me and arranged my marriage. I have sons and grandsons in his lineage. I cannot turn my back on the people who refuse to abandon me. And then there is the question of my friendship and alliance with Duryodhana. For the past thirteen years I have enjoyed unrivaled power and riches. Duryodhana has made all his plans and based his decisions on the strength of my support. He depends on me completely to defend him from Arjun. I have no doubt that you mean well. I am equally sure that the Pandavas will succeed. But King Dhritarashtra has set in motion the greatest of sacrificial rites, and you shall be the presiding priest. Karna went on to describe the coming war as a Vedic sacrifice, with the rivers of blood as a sacrificial oblation. In his mind, the war had taken on a magical or cosmic significance and his role in the rite was to be one of the sacrificial victims. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was nothing to be done except embrace his fate and see it through to the bitter end. Karna continued, As for the insults I heaped on the Pandavas, I did them to please Duryodhana, and I deeply regret it. When you see me cut down by Arjun, it will be the fuel for the sacrificial fire. When Bhima drinks Dushasan's blood, that will be the drink of Soma. And when he finally kills Duryodhana, then the king's sacred rite will have come to a conclusion. The tears of the fallen will provide the ritual cleansing after the sacrifice. Just do not let these fine warriors die in vain. Let the world Kshatriyas find death in battle in the sacred field of Kurukshetra, so they may all ascend to heaven. Now go, lead the sons of Kunti in battle, and please keep this conversation private. I guess that last request was not honored because it was Sanjay narrating the conversation. Krishna heard out this noble monologue and then laughed heartily. He said, So doesn't the offer of world domination have any appeal to you? Do not doubt that the Pandavas will triumph, so why not join on the winning side? 
Now certain that he was unable to tempt Karna, Krishna said, Go now, tell Bhishma, Drona, and Kripa that the season is ripe. There is fodder and fuel in abundance. The harvest is gathered, the weather is pleasant, and the roads are passable. In seven days there will be a new moon, so let's get this thing going. In addition, let all the kings and warriors know that I shall give them all that they desire. All those that are loyal to Duryodhana and die in battle shall all attain heaven. Karna bowed and asked, Why did you try to draw me away when you already knew it was hopeless? The astrologers all see the destruction of the Karvas written in the stars. Saturn is in the ascendant, and Mars is in retrograde. We have seen meteors, hurricanes, and earthquakes. The horses shed tears and have no interest in eating. Our fighting men, too, have all lost their appetites, but they keep taking huge shits. The wise say these are sure signs of defeat. Krishna said, Without a doubt, the apocalypse is imminent, since you will not be persuaded. Karna replied, Then perhaps we shall meet again when this is all over in the next world. At that, the two warriors embraced, and then Karna jumped down and dejectedly returned to Hastinapur. Somehow, Sanjay knew of all of this, and he described the whole scene to the king and his council. The king's steward, Vidor, was among them, and he hurried home to tell Kunti what had taken place. When he was done, Kunti said, I curse this wealth that makes brother fight against brother. Even if he denies me, I still bore Karna as my son, so perhaps you will listen to me as a mother. Perhaps I can persuade him. At dawn the next morning, Kunti set out to find Karna and speak with him directly. Every day at dawn, Karna could always be found in an open field, greeting his father, the sun. And that is where Kunti found him this day. Karna was deeply immersed in his prayer, so he did not notice her. The strength of the sun was such that the feeble widow was forced to seek the tiny bit of shade cast by Karna's garment. Finally, he turned around and saw her there. It is hard to judge just how big of a deal it was for a woman from an unrelated family to meet with a man alone. This is certainly the first instance of such a breach of etiquette in the epic. Karna greeted her formally, saying, Greetings, I am Karna, the son of Radha and Adirata. What may I do for you? Kunti replied, You are not the son of Radha, nor of Adirata. You are most certainly not Sutputra. Believe me when I tell you, it was I who gave birth to you before I was married. You are my firstborn son, and your father is the sun god Virokana. You are a Kshatriya of the finest descent, so it is not right that you serve the Karavas while they are in opposition to your own noble brothers. Now that you know the truth, embrace your dharma. Come and join with your brothers. May you be as close to Arjun as Balram is to Krishna. With the two of you together, there is nothing you could not do. You shall no longer be called Sutputra. You shall be the first of the Parthas. When Kunti paused, a voice spoke from the sky. It was the sun god, and he said, your mother is speaking the truth. Do what she says and you'll be much better off. Karna brushed off the god's words. He said to Kunti, I do not doubt a word you have said, nor do I deny that you speak for my dharma and my benefit, but your act of throwing me out has destroyed my name and reputation. I really am a Kshatriya, but the world never treated me like one. I had the heart of a warrior, but all the world treated me as an uppity sutta, what enemy could have done more wrong than what you did to me? When I needed my mother to stand up and vouch for me, you stayed silent. You never behaved like a mother should toward her son. But now you expect me to obey you like you're my mother. No, it is too late for me now. Who wouldn't think I was a coward if I were to change sides on the eve of battle? 
Only the Carvas stood by me when I was alone and friendless. They gave me wealth, friendship, and honor. How could I betray them now when I finally have the chance to repay them? I'm not going to lie to you. I will soon fight your sons with all my skill and strength. On the other hand, I never turn away any supplicants empty-handed. So here's what I promise you. I promise that I shall spare you your four sons, Yudhishthira, Bhima, Nakul, and Sahadev. As for Arjun, I make no promises. It will be either him or me. There can only be one. In either case, you need not fear. You can rest assured that your sons shall always be five in number. Should I kill Arjun, you shall have me for a son. If I am killed, well, I never counted for much to you anyway. Weeping, Kunti accepted this pledge, blessed her firstborn son, and returned to her quarters. That's all for now. Next time we'll get back to Upaplavia to see the Pandava's reaction to all this news. And both sides will prepare for war. Thanks for listening. <laughs>